This is the Lord having a discussion with his disciples. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes. And be killed and after three days rise again. Notice this in 32. And he spoke these sayings openly. And, he took, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. And when he had turned about, he looked on his disciples, and he rebuked Peter. This is what the Lord said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, follow me, become a believer. Not just attend church on Sunday, but will come after me. He says, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, as a father, sometimes I say, just do this because I tell you. I don't want to tell you why. Any parents ever play that, say that? Just do it. Well, the Lord doesn't do that to us. He'll give us reasons why we should obey him why we should follow his commandments. He gives four arguments here or four reasons why. He said, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. If I try to do it my way, go about life my way with, with my interest only in mind and do things how through the philosophy of this world, I'll not only lose in this life, but surely the one to come. And Then it says, but whosoever this is the paradox of all paradox. I don't know how it works. I can't write it on paper. But it says that whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel, the same shall save it. The other reason is, for what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Then it says, whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words, these words, the gospel. In this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in glory of his Father with the holy angels. Church, the grass withereth and the flower fadeth away, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Amen. You have had the privilege today of having the word of God read over you. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap today. So thankful for his presence that's here. You may be seated in Jesus' name. So this afternoon, I want us to consider uh, the cost of discipleship as Jesus explains it here to his disciples uh, immediately following the confession of Peter at Caesarea Philippi. Now, that confession of, of Peter was really a watershed moment up to that point in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And that confession that Peter said gave definition to everything that came before that and certainly everything that would come after that and the cross to what the Lord was doing and that would follow after that. At Caesarea Philippi, it was now clear that the, the apostle, the, the disciples knew who 
he was. He was the long-awaited Messiah. He was the mighty God in Christ. And they knew who he was. They may not have connected all the dots. I'll tell you a dot they did not connect. They may not have connected all, but they knew who he was. Do you remember what he said? He said to them, who do men say that I am? And they began to rattle off some names. No, no, I'm not interested in what, what the skinny is out on the street. I want to know who do you say that I am? And Stella Church, we all have to answer that question. Doesn't matter what mama says or daddy says or even Pastor Aker says, you need to know who he is. If you're going to walk with God, you need to know who he is. And so Peter just blurted it out for all of them. He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And when he said that, the Lord blessed Simon for that pronouncement. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You didn't get this from uh, walking behind me. You didn't get this from the Jerusalem news. You didn't get this from small, some small group somewhere or a discussion with them behind me. But you got this from my Father who is in heaven. He, and he blessed him for knowing who he is. I want to tell you, we are a blessed people because we know who he is. I said, we are a blessed people. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Bible says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. To wit, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. We are a blessed people because we know who he is. And even with that confession that was full of faith from the lips of Peter, uh, they still did not have a full understanding of his vocation. They understood, yes, that he was the Messiah to maybe to some limited degree, but the problem still was they still brought a serious, flawed understanding of what the title Messiah would mean and what it in entailed for him, namely the cross. They didn't quite understand of that at all what he was talking about. So after he blessed them for this pronouncement, the Bible says he takes them away and begins to teach them what it meant for him to be Messiah, what awaited him because he was the Messiah. And he began, the Bible says, to teach them. And he wasn't, he just didn't say these words. He was teaching them. I believe the Lord was going back in the Old Testament, showing where he was in the Old Testament. And this is what he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things. He must be rejected and he must be killed. And on the third day, he would rise again from the dead. That's what he taught them. He just didn't say, I got to suffer, I got to be rejected, and I'm going to be killed, and don't worry about it, I'll rise back up. But he's talking to them. In fact, the Bible says he openly speaks to them. No longer is it bits and pieces of information, but he's given them all the information where he is at, because that's all they had in the Old Testament. I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And I want to tell you, he that, he that hangs on a tree, it says in Deuteronomy, it, it's a cursed thing. And so he's showing them where he's at. I must suffer. I must be rejected and be killed. Now, the first three elements came as a total shock to the ears of the apostles. That Messiah would suffer. That Messiah would be rejected and be killed. It absolutely 
blew the back of their heads off. They had, they had, they thought they were going this way, but they thought that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom and that he would reign and finally drive the oppressors away, finally drive the Roman government away, and in exchange for, for their leadership, the disciples would become ministers of defense, or ministers of the trade, whatever it would be, secretary of state, that they would step in to leadership roles. Remember the conversation they had one time? Hey, who can, can, can I sit on your right? And who's going to be on your left? And the other disciples heard about that. They got upset. What were they doing? They're trying to jockey for a position. And all of a sudden, the Lord shakes their world up and says, no, I must suffer. I must be rejected. And I will be killed. Totally. They could not compute. Jesus is not saying this as it is a possibility. But he uses these words, I must suffer. I must be rejected. And I must be killed. They saw his power, church, on display every single day of their lives. It did not compute to them this one that had power over demons and death and wind and waves and all those things and were forced to obey him. How this Messiah that they had been waiting for so long could even be rejected or suffer or even be killed. They, they saw his wisdom, how he taught with authority. They did not understand how could he be rejected. And so they didn't agree with it. Now, why does Jesus use the words of necessity? Why? It seems like he's all-powerful. He could just wave his magic wand and take sin away and, and save his people, but that, that is not what he could do. God did not come to break the law, but the Bible says he came to fulfill the law. And so the question for us today is, why did Jesus say, I must suffer? I, there's no other way. I must suffer. There is no other approach. I must be rejected, and I must be killed. He uses these words of necessity. Now, there's some things in the Bible that I would like to see. I would have loved to see this played out. John the Baptist is there on the, on the muddy Jordan River baptizing people, and all of a sudden, he locks eyes. I'd love to see what was in the heart of John the Baptist when he first locked eyes with Jesus Christ coming down that dusty road. Do you remember what he said? He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is of whom I have been talking about, preaching about. I'm not worthy to unloosen his laces. I'm not worthy. He came before me. He will be after me. I'm not worthy of it all. He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That behold means to focus on, to look upon, look intently on. This is the one that I have been talking about. Peter would later say that, he said, we are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. That's a word of commerce. That's a word of an exchange. You know, we are redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord. The Revelation would say he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The cross was not God's plan B, but it was always in the mind of God that he would redeem people through the cross. So it was always the plan of God that the Son of Man would stand in the place of his people. Because the Bible says, he that sinneth shall die. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this exchange in your own mind thinking, you know, 
if I was Adam, I wouldn't have done it. I would have tackled my wife. She wouldn't have ate that tree of that fruit. There's no way. But let me tell you, we all are perfect representations of Adam and Eve. We would have done the same thing. It did not pass. You can't say, well, I got it honestly. No, let me tell you, if you were the one and your wife was the only one, or you, the, you would have taken it too. We are a perfect representation of Adam and Eve. And so it says, the soul that sinneth shall die. So it was always in the mind of God that the Son of Man would stand in the place of his people that he would live a life as a man, that he would suffer, not because he was worthy, not because of any of his own wickedness, but for the wickedness of his people. That he would be rejected, not because he was worthy of rejection, but for the rejection of his people. That he would be punished, not because he did anything wrong, but because of his people. That he would stand in substitute or stand in place for us. And so let me just remind the church that full payment had to be made for our sin. What the Bible says is he that knew no sin, no sin, became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. What that really is telling us, he never was a liar, but he became a lie. He never was a fornicator, but he became fornication. He became every sin that would ever be committed or known to man. He did not do those things, but he became those things as a substitute for mankind. This was not a limited atonement. This is a universal atonement for whosoever will. Now, there is world hunger, and we need to feed. And there are people that are homeless that we need to help, and we need to educate people. But let me tell you, the greatest need of all mankind is for the sin issue in our lives to be dealt with. And he is the remedy for our sin. Thank God that he died. Thank God that he paid that price for us. His suffering is our remedy. The Bible says that he did not bear these sins intellectually. He did not bear these sins spiritually. He did not bear them emotionally. The Bible says he bare our sins in his own body that we might be dead to sin or that we might have a choice not to sin and that we would live in his righteousness. And so that's why he said, I must suffer. And that's why we worship. That's why he's a miracle worker that we sang about today. That's why we come to church. That's why we give. That's why we're part of Stella because we know full payment has been made. And that's why the church has been gathered on the first part of the week in worship in him because they recognize he has paid the price. You remember when the Lord was in the garden and he said, let this cup pass from me. He was not worried about the nail scars in his hand. He wasn't fretting over the, the, the crown of thorns that would be on his head. He wasn't worried about the death or his beard being pulled or being in shame on that tree. He said, let this go. He was talking about is the very wrath of God would be poured out on him and him by himself. And so I want to tell you, he said, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but Thy will be done. 
And so the Lord, the, the Lord, for three hours, he hung on that tree. And it's like nature could not look at nature creating, uh, crucifying the creator. The earth grew dark. And there for three hours is where the price was paid. And he said, it is finished. And that's him drinking the very dredges of the cup of the wrath of God, tipped that cup upside down and said, it is finished. Church, he didn't say, I'm finished. He didn't say, I can't do anymore. I can't experience any more pain. No, he said, it is finished. What? That full payment had been made and reached for the sin of all mankind. That's why we worship. That's why we love him. That's why we clap our hands. That's why we come to church. That's why we're trying to establish a church here, because it's that message that needs to be preached here in this community. Let's clap our hands unto God right now. Hallelujah. It is finished. It is to tell us die. It is a word of commerce. You know how sometimes you go somewhere and buy something, say, no, 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 right paid in full on this receipt. Anybody do that? I do that. No, right paid in full. So it means, to tell us that means paid in full. When somebody would go buy a camel or whatever they bought on the market in those days, they would say to tell us that the deal's done. Thank you. You paid, no layaway, you paid in full. So when the Lord was saying that, he was saying, hey, paid in full. But it's also a word, a judicial term, that when somebody would come before the magistrate of those days, he had served his time for his law-breaking, he, now he hadn't served a day less or a day over, he served exactly what he had to serve, they would say to Telestai, you, you, have, you have served your sentence in full. But it also was a military term that when a general would stand out over the battlefield and the enemy had been totally vanquished, there was no chance of them ever rising up again. There was not going to be no more rally. The horses were dead. The, the, the weapons were collected. People were dead. They were in full retreat, never to hear from them again. He would say to Telestai, the battle is over. Hey, church, I'm going to tell you, he's the one that died for us. The battle is over over. The greatest thing that we have had ever happened in our lives is that he has paid the price in full. I think it's worthy of another hand clap to God to give God the praise for what he has done in our lives. This is what it says, blotting out the handwritten of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. I mean, it was not good that we had these handwritten ordinances against us. And he took them out of the way. All the sin and all the things that you have in your life and I have in my life, the Bible says he removed it and made it an issue no more. He took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Church, we don't come because we're, we have a great job. We don't come because we're blessed with finances. We come to church to worship him because we recognize that he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I want to worship him. I love him. Thank God he saved my kids and my grandchildren. Thank God he's forgiven me of all my sin. It's been fully paid. Amen. Now, if you look at every aspect, of Messiah in the Old Testament, you find that uh, it's a tapestry 
of words and word pictures woven into many different strands. It's like a mosaic. You look at one part of the mosaic, it doesn't make sense, but you step back and you see the full picture of what the artist was trying to portray. And you find this if you just get one picture. So it's not the picture of Christ in the Old Testament. It's not uh, monochromatic. It's not one color, but it's many different colors. And when you step back and begin with the understanding to, to try to find Christ in the Old Testament, you begin to see that it's a beautiful picture that he was talking about. He would be the king of kings. That the Messiah would be the shepherd, the liberator, the redeemer, the high priest, the lion of Judah, the holy one of Israel, the advocate, the true vine, the day spring. All of these were woven together and they would come and emerge on one person, Jesus Christ. Now he just didn't die for the sins of those that were around the cross moving forward. He went all the way back to Adam, picked up his rebellious sin, and pulled it all, everybody all the way to the cross, paid for everybody's sin there, and every the last person that would be, ever be born on earth, he bore those sins in his own body on that cross. I can barely, Pastor, sometimes handle my own sin. Sometimes I get up in the morning, I want to pull the covers over my own. Can you imagine the Lord, our Lord, bearing everyone's sin on that cross? They tried to give him a narcotic to dull the pain. He refused to take it. To let this come. I want you to imagine with me that you're standing in front of a dam. It's 10 miles high, 100 miles long. And you're down half a mile from the dam. You can see it. And all of a sudden, you hear that dam give way. And that raging water is coming toward you. And there's nothing you can do about it. The skin will be ripped from your body. You will be remembered no more. It's taking trees and boulders there. You can't outrun it. You can't outdrive it. You are doomed. That's sin. I want you to imagine you're standing there just ready for it to come, ready for that wrath of that water, the rage of that water to take you and your family away. And all of a sudden, the ground opens up and drinks all that water in. And you look down at your feet, and there's not one drop of water on you. That's what Jesus did for you. He took all the rage and the wrath of God. He is that lamb slain from the very foundation of the world. Oh, you, there's something to worship him about. There's something to give him praise about. That's why we're here. Come on now. That's why we're setting up and tearing down and having small groups. And that's why we're building something because we want that message to be declared in this community. Let's clap our hands under the Lord, church. Hallelujah. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. And so we see the Messiah from the vantage point of the New Testament on the, on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the resurrection, but they did not understand. See, they taught many things the rabbis did of that day about Messiah, but they never taught Isaiah 53. They never saw that 
Isaiah 5, who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up. He shall be a tender root uh, 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 out of dry ground. And, and there was no form or com- That means there was nothing that when you saw Jesus, there was nothing that said, man, I'm drawn to him. There was no form nor comeliness that anybody desired him. Nothing. They taught that that was, at that time, the nation of Israel. If you read uh, Psalms, uh, you can, it's almost like an eyewitness account of the cross. They did not see that as that, that it was in one person. They thought it was the nation of Israel. And so they never taught that. They never taught of a suffering Messiah or a rejected, only a victorious Messiah. So when he says, yes, I'm the Messiah, but let me tell you, you know who I am, but I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to be rejected, and I'm going to be killed. Can I tell you, you can be baptized in Jesus' name, come to church, have the truth, know who he is, and still not understand what God is doing in your life. Why is God doing it this way? I don't know why he's doing it, but I know all things work together for the good. It's God's power. He's able to take something that's not good and turn it to the good for them that love him and are called by him. It's the power. I don't understand how he does it, but I can give you a testimony how God has taken something that hasn't been good and turned it to my benefit and his glory. God has that power in this building today. Now, if I was God, I would have come and set up an earthly kingdom and start kicking people's tails. But he came in weakness. It's a paradox. How in the world did God do this? How can that even happen? They didn't understand it. And so, like you and like me sometimes, have you ever heard something preached you didn't like? Well, that's what Peter got. He spake these things openly. I think he went all the way back to Genesis and, and told them of that promise. And I will put enmity between thy seed and her, her seed. And yes, he will, bruise, he will bruise your heel, but he's going to bruise your head. That's kind of a death blow. That was Satan coming from that, that, that Jesus would be born of a woman. That's, that's the first time the gospel ever was preached was in Genesis. And I believe he took them all back and explained. And guess what, Peter? He rebukes the Lord. Now, this is not him rebuking the second grade teacher. This is the incarnate word of God teaching the word of God. You can't get a better teacher than that. And the, and the word became flesh and dwelt among He is teaching the word of God. He is the word of God. Teach. And Peter goes, nope. Hey, church, he didn't just a few. This is not like six months ago or maybe even 30 minutes ago. He says, thou art the Christ. You're Messiah. You've been who we've been waiting for. Nope. Messiah starts speaking. He goes, nope. He, this rebuke is not some kind of mild, this is a hostile approach to the teaching of the word of God. The rebuke is the same word that Jesus used to rebuke demons and deem them worthy of hell. 
He's saying, one translation says it like this. This will never happen, never. I've come to Stella to tell you, never say never. God sometimes does things that seem weak and sometimes embarrasses us and sometimes puts us off center. And and, and we can know him and know who he is, but at the same time say, nope, that'll never, I'll never do it. Have you ever been mad at somebody so much you, did, you weren't going to go to them and get it right? They can come to you and get it right. Have you ever harbored some ill will? Have you ever not forgiven somebody? Said, Listen, you, as you forgive, I will forgive you. I want to make it a habit of my life to dump mercy and forgiveness on as many people as I can. Why? It's, it's a point of survival. I know how much I need. I know, I know how much I need for God to step into my life and show me mercy and give me, but it's proportionate to the amount I give out. So he rebukes the Lord. Nope. Not going to happen. So the Lord... Rebukes him. He says, get behind me, Satan. This goes all the way back to when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness. And there's this little phrase there, a word there that's a little foreboding. It says, when the the devil, Satan, tempted him, the last temptation, he said, just genuflect here, just bow down, and I'll give you all the kingdoms. And he said, no, that, that God was like, no, that's not how this is going to be done. It's not going to be done through power. It's not going to be done through force. It's going to be done through sacrifice and laying myself down. And so it says, and, he le- the, and the Bible says, and the Satan, and he left him for a season. Fast forward all the way to this. He recognizes no longer is it a slippery serpent, but it is his own disciple. It's going, no! (laughs) What do you mean, no? I rebuke you. What the Lord is saying here is, Peter, that attitude will not work in my kingdom. That, That attitude, that frame of reference, that point will not work in my kingdom. It can't be about you. And then he says, Peter, you savor the things that be of men, not the things that be of God. Have you ever thought about why he died and why he did all this? He pulled you out to bring you into his church. The only relationship that will last throughout eternity is the relationship we have right here today. We are, sa- we are all saints of God. I will not be married in heaven. I, that relationship will not survive my death or her death. I, I'll probably remember in heaven, hopefully, but I will not. it will have no meaning to me. But uh, the relationship we have here will go on into eternity. And he died did all that, that there might be a church. You want to know the value of what's happening here? It is the church. Now think about it for a moment. There was no political power. There was no weapons. There was no money. There was no buildings for the first 300 years of Christianity, but yet it grew and it grew. Why? Because they weren't just preaching this or that. They were preaching Christ and Christ crucified. 
And the church kept growing. And the church, hey, if it worked then, it'll work today. I said, if it worked then, it'll work today. I never get tired of somebody preaching about the cross. I never get tired about somebody telling me, reminding me what Jesus did for me. That's the, that's the crux of the matter. All of God's dreams and all of God's ambitions and everything God wants to do on planet earth will be done through his church. It says of the church that the church is the pillar, the ground of truth. Just imagine as I take a drink of water. People say, oh, I get blessed watching other people. Are you being blessed right now? You get blessed because you participate. Anyway, a little pastoral there. I'll get off it. I want you to think of this as truth and this stand as the church. God said, I can't put this truth that I'm the mighty God in Christ over in the UN, K through 12, local governments. They won't love it like it needs to be loved. It won't become part of the woove and the weave of their life. So he took that. And he took that truth. Where divine truth touches earth is the church. The pillar, the ground of truth. God's plan, and there needs to be a thriving apostolic work in every single community. That's the answer. That's the answer for the world. God didn't say, let there be church, and there was church. He looked at a world that was without form and void and spoken into existence and things began to divide and seasons and creeping things and things filled the, the oceans and creeped along the earth and all that just by speaking. That's power. But he couldn't say, let there be church. He couldn't get down in the dust and make church and breathe his spirit into the church that he did before. He, uh, he would do on Pentecost and he just couldn't do that. He couldn't make the church. He had to purchase the church. So you need to understand what's happening here. This might be a rented facility, but there's no more power at, at a church of 500 or 5,000 or 1,000 or at, 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 a, at a general conference with 10,000. There's not more power there than there is right here to bring somebody into the kingdom of God. To bring, Hey, hey, here's water. What does hinder? There's enough power here to heal, to set free, and to God to deliver you and help you and bring you, put your marriage back together. There's enough power right here. He said he went down to the smallest number. Where two or three are gathered in my name. I am not off to the left, not off to the right. I am in the midst of them. Plus, this place is a lot cooler than a lot of churches I've been in to have their own building. He said, you savor the things that be of man, not the things that be of God. And that's the crux. You ought to be concerned what happens here. It'll be all in your mind what happens here. It matters what happens here. I'm not going to be a, a problem, Pastor Devin, because I, I don't want to bring shame upon the church or approach upon the church because this is what God gave himself for. He said, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be part of my body, then you're going to have to deny yourself. Now, listen, 
uh, God gives us time and God gives us a chance to get the, ourselves together. He's still working on me. But let me tell you, if you're going to come after him, if you're going to come after him, you're going to have to deny yourself. That means to zero yourself out. I don't matter. I've had people hit my car in church. Oh, that's okay, sister. Well, I was, it wasn't okay, but I wasn't going to cause a big scene about it. I've had people call my kid's name. Oh, if you know, honey, let, let, we'll go home and work it out. But I wasn't happy about it, but I wasn't going to bring some fuss in the church because this is his church. I'm zero, I've zeroed myself out. Hey, I could have stayed in Clinton and been very comfortable there, but guess what? We decided to zero ourselves out when God began to call. We, we said, Let, we, you know what? I, I've been in this a long time. I'm 53 years old. I'm not 33 years old. I'm not pastor's age. And, 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 but God, guess what? We zero ourselves out because it's not about us. It's about his kingdom. It ain't about you. Now, listen, you may not like this. I'll be, I'll be back in Detroit before you know it. But you and I are not greater than the sum of the church. If I put this microphone down and I leave and I don't, I don't preach again, guess what? There's still going to be a church. God's still going to have a church. I want to be part of the church. I don't have to be part of the church. God's going to have a church. My family is not more important than the church. And he's not coming back for body part. I don't know why I'm saying that. He's not coming back for a person over there and a person. He's coming back for a bride, one bride. And if you're going to make it to heaven, you've got to be part of a church. It's God's plan. Now, wouldn't it be easy to live for God if it wasn't for people? You know why God does marriage? Why, you know why we get married? You know why God does it? Because I get to see what kind of sinner she is, and she sees what kind of sinner I am, and I got to re regularly forgive her, and she's got to probably more regularly forgive me. It'd be easy if God would just isolate us. But guess what? He brings your sinful family in this place, and my sinful family, we're colliding together trying to figure it all out. You know why? So we can operate in the gifts of the Spirit. We can practice them. You know what it means, like love and joy? and You know what long-suffering means in the Greek? Suffer a long time. That I can practice these things out, exercise them, and I get better and stronger. That's God's plan. Can I be transparent? I'll be in Detroit before you know it. I remember one time Rachel and I were I don't know, I can't even remember what it was about, but I do remember what happened. I got mad, and I just walked out of the room, thinking she was going to follow me. She didn't. In fact, I could hear her getting busy doing, she's not coming out here. It was a Saturday afternoon, and I usually go to the church to get ready for the next day, and, and I, was mad. I was not at peace. I was not at peace. I had anger. She probably did something wrong. I can't remember what it was. <laughs> Not really. And so I was sitting there, and the Lord said, you're going to have to go back in there. I felt like, Lord, send me to Africa. Do not send me back in that next room. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything, but I don't want to go back in there. 
And what he was saying, you need to go back in there and say you're sorry. It was like a thousand horses was pulling me. Don't go in there. But I said, oh, all right. I went back in there. Rachel was in there reading the book like nothing ever happened. So I went and I said, hey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I, I shouldn't have got that mad. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Now, this is about, this is the problem with marrying somebody that knows about as much about the word of God as I do. She goes, I know why you're in here. You're in here because the Bible says, deal with your wife according to knowledge that your prayers not be hindered. <laughs> I said, you're right. You got to forgive me. I've done my part. Now you got to forgive me. But that's how God does it. We, we come into the body of Christ. We come into a church. You cannot live out or express your faith in God by yourself, even just within your family. I don't care how big it is. You got to be into the family of God. And guess what you have to do? If there's going to be a church, if Stella's going to grow, you're going to have to zero yourself out, and you're going to have to pick up your cross to follow him. That's what he is saying. If you want to follow me, then zero yourself out. Deny yourself. Deny your ambitions. Deny it and follow him. Let's all stand. He said, pick up your cross. Now, your cross will be different than my cross. But it's going to involve suffering. Aren't you glad you came to Sunday school? It's going to involve suffering. But somehow, the, you don't, don't, don't lose hope. Somehow, the paradox of life turns around, and I find life. You're like, whoa, I've sacrificed, I've, and I've, I've forgiven, I, I don't have any grudges, I don't have anybody that I can't stand. And I mean, I, I don't want to go on vacation with everybody, but hey, I, I feel free, my spirit's free. I have life, I have joy. Why? I didn't, because I didn't seek my own interest. I denied myself. But one area that we all pick up the cross is the Word of God. The Word of God speaks to me. I follow it. it. I may be embarrassed by it. Hey, do you think, I'm speaking to myself, do you think you're going to be able to live from this point here all the way to the Lord returns or you go meet, you die, whatever, without ever being corrected? Without anybody ever exhorting you, rebuking you? Instructing you? I'd much rather my pastor do it from the pulpit. But I'd much rather my pastor come down and talk to me and my family than let me be led astray. The attitude here ought to be, Pastor Devin, tell me what I need to hear. Not what I want to hear, what I need to hear. You're my man of God. I'll trust you. Because I know that I'm going to need correcting. And I know that I'm going to need guidance. And Lord, when you speak to me, if it's embarrassing, it sometimes is kind of offsetting to go to somebody and say, hey, I'm sorry. When they did 90% of it. 
say, you know what? I'm going to own 100% of my 10%. I'm sorry for what I said. I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it as unto the Lord. They're not the focus. He is. I don't want any distractions here. I, I, I want this to people to come in to feel it. Feel the presence of God, not tension. I'm zeroing myself out. I want to pick up my cross. When the word of God speaks, I'm going to do it. That's where we all pick up. I feel like there's a lot of maturity here for just six years. That means you have great preachers and great leaders. But if we're going to continue to grow, we're going to have to zero ourselves out. center of it all. You'll never regret denying yourself, picking up your cross, and following him. You never look back and say, that was the worst decision of my entire life. Your children and their children's children will be blessed. One day you'll sit there and you'll be like, I remember when we were at the river, River Bend Middle School. Not everybody's going to be able to say that when you're running four or five hundred, but you can. I, I remember being there. I remember the sweaty guy from Detroit reminded us how important the church was. I remember. This won't be the last time that you deny yourself. Paul said, I pick up my cross daily. I've come to just let you know, just to kind of push us toward home a little bit further than we are today. That if you're going to come after him, you got to deny yourself. Pick up your cross. I'm wondering today if we can't just come to the front for just a few moments. What you're doing today is reconnecting. Lord, I'm going to take up my cross. I'm going to take up the cross. Hallelujah.